This is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, WFG Chairman and Founder Patrick Stone's candid opinion, discrediting the media's housing market clickbait, and offering a realistic outlook. You know, before we dive into the numbers and a forward look here at the rest of the year, I got to hand it to you. You know, you had this right. You made the correct call in terms of price. We had so many dire predictions that, you know, prices were going to drop all around the country and there was going to be this huge crash in housing. And I know you told us last year and, you know, throughout this year, that's not going to happen. And that's exactly what hasn't happened. In fact, we've seen some appreciation now in some markets. It really is uh, a market like we have never seen before, isn't it? You know, in all honesty, Brian, every market is a market like we've never seen before. This one is, the volume is down to where it was like in 2012, 2013. So the volume is low. Uh, but the demand is there, and the, it's the balance between supply and demand that determines what prices are. And what a lot of people missed is uh, that it's not like the stock market where you're speculating uh, or trying to guess what's going to happen. The real estate market, especially single-family sales, really reflect the supply and demand. And supply and demand uh, remained in surprising balance. Yes, demand went down with higher rates, but as we know, supply has been going down because builders quit building, and you know they started back, but uh, and we're gearing up in early 22. But then they they put the brakes on because of all the uncertainty. Now they're starting up again. I think it's a little bit more sure this time that we'll see an increase in volume of homes. The demand and supply have been enough balance that it's mitigated any sharp drop in prices. We don't have prices in residential real estate determined by speculation. It's very much a very clear supply-demand type market. Interest rates are the other interesting thing here, and we're seeing... (laughs) where consumers are actually adjusting to the higher rates. And I know you talked about this on a previous podcast. We touched on that, you know, quote unquote, higher interest rates in the, say, 7% range, which historically is pretty average, right? And I don't know if there's any data or past experience you have to kind of give guidance to our audience in terms of how long it typically takes consumers to adjust from, hey, things are five or five and a half to seven what are you thinking? Like maybe six months and then it's the new normal or? There's so many variables that I don't think I can put a timeline on it. And it isn't so much adjusting to the rate, although there is a little bit of acceptance that goes on. And that does take a little bit of time. But really what it amounts to is reconciling the cost versus the benefit, right? And if you want a home, you see a home you want, you look at it, you say, hey, I want to live here. This works for me. This is an environment I want my family to be in. And then you look back and see if you can figure out how to make it work, you do it, right? Yeah. And you figure out how to make it work based on what it's going to cost, whether you got the down payment or not, what your interest is going to be on the mortgage. Uh, And one thing a lot of people forget is, yeah, mortgages went up, but if you're renting, you're paying money too, right? And, you know, so it's really the difference between what you rent and what you pay for the new home. And if the quality of life enhancement is worth it, you do it. Now, most people are also sophisticated enough to understand that, rates come back down, you can refinance. Yeah. If or when that happens. We'll see. Not if, when. (laughs) Okay. While we're talking rates too, I mean, uh, you know, the impact of so many homeowners who are locked in at 
as low as 3%, 4%, whatever it may be, that obviously has a huge impact on people maybe possibly putting their home on the market and moving, or does it? I don't think it has a huge impact. I think it has a meaningful impact, but not a huge impact. The reality is, why do people move? People typically move for either they got reassigned to a new job, they want to live in a different environment or a different place geographically, or they've retired and their family's gone and they want to downsize. You'll still do those kind of things, even with a 7% interest rate. So it does uh, mitigate the ease of movement, but it all, and it probably does affect some people who might make a move uh, at a lower rate because, it, because it's affordable, right? So yeah. it does have some impact. I don't think it's huge. Okay. Not huge, but meaningful. So, meaningful, yes. And you talk about the builders you know, building more. We see it in our neighborhood. Good to see. Any concerns out there? It sounds like the you know supply chain issues have, for the most part, been worked through. What about the banking situation? We had some, some hiccups, <laughs> pretty big ones, earlier this year. Is that a concern with builders who access their capital from, you know, regional banks or do you see any concern there at all? Very little. And, you know, your first point, supply chain issue. Let me give you some numbers to put that into perspective. In the third quarter of 2021, it cost over $20,000 a container to ship a container from Shanghai to Long Beach. All right. Today, it costs $1,000. So it's one twentieth of the cost that it was about two years ago. Supply chain, Goldman Sachs meter, they do a one to 10 meter. They're at two and they've been bouncing between one and two. The supply chain is fixed. All right. That's over. So that's not an issue anymore. So, I mean, you do have some you do have some a little bit of concerns uh, for small speculative builders, uh, you know, accessing capital. But established builders are not having a problem. And, you know, the banking issue was way overblown, to be honest with you. It did lock up a little bit because of the concern, but that's pretty well fixed now. Okay, good to hear. Um, one other thing we're seeing in, in the headlines, and we want to be careful, you know, of those headlines, <laughs> we talk about that a lot, is uh, I'm seeing some so-called experts say that the people who invested in Airbnb or VRBO, Verbo, in you know, hot markets like Austin, Texas, or vacation markets that are seeing their rent numbers drop by as much as 50% in some of these markets, that that's going to cause some sort of crash in that market. And then all this inventory will come available. And that will certainly help the inventory issue and could lead to some price adjustments. Is there anything valid to that? Uh, not much. Uh, there, there may be, excuse my cynicism, there may be some markets in which there will be a problem, but it'll be very few. And candidly, a lot of uh, a lot of investors are coming back into the single family market right now. You know, that abated fairly significantly. And now you're having a return of investors to the single family market. Will people uh, use Airbnb or will people rent homes uh, from uh, investment company? Absolutely. Uh, you know, so there may be there may be a few markets in which you see a little adjustment there, but I don't think that's going to be a big issue. Good to hear. So we've had some more good news of late uh, when it comes to inflation. We saw the CPI and I know that's a headline number. You take a deeper dive into those numbers, but the headline number at 3%. So so good news. Uh, sounds like the Fed will raise at least one more time. Um, 
Do you feel good about where we're at on the fight with inflation? I think we're moving in the right direction. The headline number 3%, you know, the the core number is still around 5%. You know, so you will take a little bit longer on that one. I mean, 3% isn't the goal of 2% by any stretch, but moving the right direction. I do think it's interesting. And one thing that'll, that gives me optimism on this is that if you look at the CPI, about a third of the headline number is rent and owner's equivalent rent. Over 40% of the core number is rent and owner's equivalent rent. Yeah. Now that's only adjusted, that's only measured once every six months. Hmm. So we've had some impact from where it was six months ago. Uh, the next time it's measured, it'll be meaningfully different, right? In terms of appreciation, because rent has leveled off, or pretty much leveled off. And a house appreciation has gone back to actually it was like 2% or something, which is below the normal 3.6% annual. So in six months from now, you're going to see it significantly lower because hmm. of that. I think also one thing that you're not hearing anybody talk about is we're seeing deflation now in China. And China exports a lot of materials and goods. And so we're going to have the benefit of lower prices there. You know, I'm pretty optimistic that we are we're in a good place in terms of inflation declining. It'll take a while because we still haven't had a meaningful downturn in labor uh, cost appreciation. But that is starting to happen because the Fed will raise once more time. I do think you're going to see a slowdown in hiring. I do think you're going to see unemployment go up a little bit. And then you'll see that will stop being such a significant driver of inflation. Well, that was my next question is the job market. And it's yeah. you have to laugh. I mean, you really do. You get the ADP number one day and it's like a half million jobs and everybody freaks out. And then the very next day you get the you get the, the government number and it's it's 200,000. And, and, and it goes, you know, it snaps back to, oh, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it is such a knee jerk reaction to things. We know that. But. Diving deeper into that, you feel like that number is going to continue to soften. I do. Um, you know, if you look at what the makeup of is of the re- most recent number, the two hundred and six or two hundred nine thousand, a lot of that was health services and government, and so you're seeing the final replenishing of the employment base after we started back to work. You know, that it took a while to uh, for the recovery from the pandemic. But you know, now you're seeing the, the final sectors actually gear up with labor. So I think you're close to the end of adding uh, to labor. Now, I also think that the, the Fed will raise at least one more time. Uh, you've seen corporations slow down dramatically on production and everything else. So I, and you are starting to see a, a discretionary spending by consumers uh, start to slow down. And I think with the return of uh, the student loan payments that will even even cause more slowdown in discretionary spending. So that goes down. Uh, pressure on labor goes down. So I think we're near the end of the inflationary cycle. How fast it unwinds is a good question. But I do think by this time next year we'll be down around three percent, and in 2025 we'll be back to the Fed's desirable level of two percent. You know, we always say, Pat, if people have a job and they have job security then they will be more inclined to buy a home, right? Regardless of rates are three, five, seven, ten, whatever it may be, whenever it may be. Um, Obviously, we hope rates are coming back down here soon. More on that in a second. But is it enough of a job slowdown to impact the housing market? Because that's what we're concerned about here. Is that going to impact 
our industry. And no, we may, you know, we're still having this big argument about are we going to have a recession, right? Yeah. And um, you know, the uh, the guys I like at Goldman Sachs say the chances for twenty five percent. A lot of people are up around sixty percent. Hmm. But everybody is almost in, in total agreement that if we do have one, it's going to be minor and short-lived, right? So yeah, I don't think yeah. you're going to see any meaningful raise in unemployment. If it gets over 4.5%, I'll be surprised. Well, that's good to hear. Then that is good news for the housing sector, right? Yep. Good to hear. Every market, every market, there's opportunity. Uh, we saw that in the worst of times during you know the Great Recession. There was opportunity. I know you were able to take advantage of it. Where do you see opportunity right now in this market? Just overall, I ask you that question, kind of a blanket question. Where do you see opportunity in real estate? Oh, in real estate, I think in new construction, uh, single family new construction. That's, uh, you know, that is, that will, uh, as we recover, as rates come down, the demand for homes is going to be there. You know, one thing that happened in the pandemic, and I think everybody kind of knows it, but they don't really digest it completely. You know, we returned, and you and I have talked about this before, we returned to where we were maybe 40 or 50 years ago, where owning a home was a a prime motivation. It was one of the first things you did when you got married. Now, this time around, it was more driven by the fact that you want to control the environment you live in. The pandemic made us really conscious of the need to make sure we have an environment we can live in. It also made us more home-focused on where we spend our time. So owning a home now is back up right at the top of the list of things you want to do. And uh, so you have a tremendous amount of people in the first time home buyer age. We have a huge population bubble between about 30 and 45 years of age. So uh, I think the demand is there is going to stay there as we uh, start building new homes. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, 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 that's going to be a good market to be in. It's interesting you mentioned that, too, because, you know, there was maybe it's still an ongoing debate about, you know, hybrid work, remote work, working in the office. There's probably a place for all of it moving forward. And there was this argument that, you know, when this is over, everybody's going to get forced back to the office. And we're finding that's not the case. In fact, a lot of these employers don't want to do that because a law firm, for example, in Portland can stay in downtown, move to a newer office, take less space, obviously less outlay so it's you know hate to say win-win but you know it's it's a lot more flexible and it feels like that's here to stay well um i think let me come at it just slightly different i think it'll take a, a major recession to unwind it we are seeing more people more companies ask employees to come back for two or three days a week you know there's a lot lost when you don't have personal interaction and I can't quote the study precisely, but Harvard University has this ongoing study on happiness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've been doing it, I think, for 85 years or something. And uh, one of the things they've found uh, when people retire, one of the biggest problems they have is they miss the socialization that occurs at work. So I do think there's a high level of value to socialization. I'll tell you, in my industry, OJT, it's an OJT industry, right? So how do you train people if you don't have a personal interaction? There are a lot yeah. of industries where that's critical for both efficiency and training. So I do think you'll see more days in the office, whether you'll get back to five days a week. I don't know. I don't think so. Not anytime soon. But I do think you'll see more days in the office. And I do think if you have a major recession, that would be a great impetus. And can I go back to one of your prior questions real quick? Please do. 
You talked about the uh, the moving, you know, the, the mortgage rate having a lot to do with moving. One thing that I have uh, noticed that people are not aware of is that, you know, if you look at the trend in terms of relocations among the U.S. population, you go back to like 1985, 1986, 18 to 20% of the population moved annually. In 2020, prior to the pandemic, it was down to 8%. It had steadily declined from almost 20%, clear down to 8% over a 40-year or about a 35-year period of time. And so people don't move that often anyway, right? I mean, so the amount of relocations really stopped or really slowed down prior to the pandemic. The pandemic caused a surge in relocations, uh, you know, people seeking a better environment, which is very analogous to what we're talking about with uh, the importance of your home environment. But people moved then. But I, you know, I just don't think, I think we'll get back to the point where we don't move as often again. That's good to hear. Um, so everything's pretty optimistic here. We haven't talked about <laughs> comparatively speaking. Yeah, <laughs> well, compared to where it was a year ago. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all relative. So, um, so all that said, interest rates, mortgage interest rates. Let's talk about that. You have said you see the rates coming back down toward the end of the year. Are you sticking to your guns on that one? Yeah, I think it'll be close to six percent by year end on mortgage rates. You know, they're they're about seven point three today, which is ridiculous in my opinion, but they are. Uh, you know that. And the interesting thing to me is the tenure came back down to about 3.8 to 3.9. It was up over four, but the mortgage rates went up a little bit. They're at 7.3 today. Uh, you know, I think I think they'll come down. I think they'll be closer to six by year end, and I still expect them to be in five uh, by the end of the first quarter next year. How much does the cost of originating a mortgage impact that? I mean, how much are the lenders building in to that? Well, I, I don't think the cost of originating a mortgage has gone up in any meaningful way. But uh, a lender, there's been a tremendous amount of anxiety and concern over capital and assets, as you've alluded to, with regard to banks and everything else. Yep. So, I mean, you know, people are that if you're, you're a mortgage lender, you're selling a loan, you have to you have to make the loan attractive. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. But there's been some creative ways to get around that. You've got buy downs, you know, other programs you can use. Obviously, adjustable rates are good opportunities for people to at least get a lower rate for the introductory period, right? Well, yeah, that, and there's a lot of comments about how little that's being used, but we'll see. You know, Why is that? Well, that's a good question because people are worried about rates going up, I guess. Paranoia, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, who causes that, Pat? I mean, seriously, not, <laughs> not us. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like uh, optimistic outlook, rates coming down. If we do have a recession, a soft recession, so, you know, hang tight, right? I mean, you've got a lot of real estate professionals out there that are looking for guidance right now, and it sounds like you just got to keep on plugging. What do you tell them as we hit the midpoint here of this year in terms of managing your business, whether you are a small title agent, an independent, or you're a real estate professional, or you're a lender? What are you telling them right now to coach them up? Well, get really disciplined and methodical about your marketing and sales effort. I attribute what success I've had in life, at least some of my success, to the Stoic philosopher Epictetus, who said over and over again, understand what you control and understand what you don't control. Put your time and energy on things you control. Don't sit and spend time and energy on things you don't control. If you sit around and worry about the market, 
market. You're not doing anything that's progressive or beneficial to you. Get real disciplined about the things you control. Your market outreach, your market influence, your contact level, your knowledge level, uh, you know, how you help your clients. You can work on all those things and you can outpace your competitors. Well, that's a great point. And, you know, we work closely on our team with a commercial real estate brokerage in Sacramento and they're having a great year and everything that they put out is positive. Is it as good as it was two or three years ago? Probably not, but new car wash here, you know, new building here, this opportunity there, looking for something over here, right? Activity, you know, positive, keep going instead of, you know, woe is me. We're not making as much money as we did two years ago, right? I mean, you've got, you've got, and you don't have to lie to people, but just, you know, have some energy and some positivity, right? Well, it has some positivity. I think one thing that, is, uh, that I've noticed, the really successful people take the time and effort to actually analyze the market, find opportunities, find opportunities that fit their potential clients' needs, right? And they talk about the future benefits. They talk about what can be done realistically. They talk about you know, they talk about the benefit of making a good decision. I mean, they really are professional in their approach. The people that are not doing well right now are sitting around talking about how high rates are and how bad things are. You know, okay, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, we don't control the market, but we have to live through it. Great advice, Pat. Well, always good to see you. I know you're taking some vacation here coming up. Well-deserved. Enjoy your time away, and we'll talk to you again in August. That sounds great. Thank you, Brian. Thanks to WFG chairman and founder Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG.